Welcome to the Mystic Fool's Journey podcast. I'm Anna and this is Ruth. Howdy. And this is an occult history podcast. Today we're taking a deep dive into the history of the Kabbalion. Let's dive in. Let's do it up. So if you're not familiar, the Kabbalion is a collection of Hermetic teachings and it's all about the principles that Hermes Tresmegistus first talked about. My favorite name in all of history. The best, the best. Basically, it hands students this cool, like, master key to dive into the basics of esoteric philosophy. There are these, like, seven hermetic principles that everything revolves around, and they're like the fundamental laws that cover everything in creation, and the Kabbalion breaks it all down. So, you know, if you're searching for the answers to everything in life, then congrats, we're here to serve. We're trying. (laughs) (laughs) We're providing the content that you need. (laughs) To fulfill your life. Make your dreams come true. This is Truly. like manifest. This is where like all the like manifestation stuff you hear about on TikTok comes from. Like yeah. it's like a ver- some version of this. This is the root of woo woo. So it came out in 1908 and was supposedly written by the three initiates. The identity of the three initiates who authored the Kabbalion remains a mystery. While there are speculations, it's often suggested that one of them might have been this guy, William Walker Atkinson. He was like a new thought pioneer from the earliest 20th century. However, the exact identities are not definitively known, adding a touch of intrigue to the book's history. I do think that I personally would love to mysteriously author a book one day. That's like peak lore for life. I, we can do it. I mean, there's so many ways to self-publish these days. Like, it's it's going to happen. It's more about, like, what are you going to write about, Ruth? Like, are we going to yeah. start a new branch of spirituality? No, I think that we should, once we're finished, once this podcast is insanely successful, we should really Obviously. nuke our advertising careers and do a spill-all book of, like, advertising practices and trade secrets. <laughs> oh, interesting. You know... I I thought we were going to go a little more scandalous than, than that, to be honest. I guess the uh, regular person isn't really interested in, like, trade secrets of advertising professionals. <laughs> but I bet if we spin it as, like, a spirituality branch, we could make it. I thought, didn't you want to be a cult leader? Like, I feel like this is yeah, your time to Yeah, that's true. I mean, I guess I could just mysteriously author some, like, new religion texts yeah. and, like, become a anonymous cult leader that'd be pretty cool that would be ultimately that would be the ideal if i could be a cult leader that doesn't actually do anything bad but just sparks the idea of the cult and then i could just like check in on social media you know every once in a while and see how my people are doing that would kind of be the peak it all starts with a discord server i feel like we can get <laughs> you there yes absolutely So we do have some Scooby-Doo-esque clues to follow to help unweave the web of his many, many pseudonyms, William's pseudonyms. Oh, pseudonyms? (laughs) What? I say pseudonyms constantly. Does everybody in my life just think I'm a dummy? I, you know, I'm I'm sorry that I'm the one that is here to correct you. I feel like such a Debbie Downer because pseudonyms (laughs) just sound so suave. It just sounds cool. It is pseudonyms, at least in... My neck of the woods of English. <laughs> yeah, right. It's okay. I'm sure I appreciate I appreciate your contribution to my grammar corrections, I suppose. As a homeschooler, you don't say many things out loud. <laughs> oh, no. 
that's a different episode. Yeah, right. So the basic gist is that William's pseudonyms, works, were published by similar publishing houses with the same addresses, and the pseudonyms wrote for magazines edited by Atkinson himself. So it's like a writer's club with like a shared clubhouse. It sounds like it was a writer's club for one, and that William might have been lonely. Like, (laughs) this is starting to sound like he did pretty much everything. Yeah, he did do pretty much everything, which, hey, we love ourselves a one-man show. You know, get your bag, Willie. Now, here's where it gets interesting. There's this magazine called Advanced Thought, edited by Atkinson, advertising articles by both Atkinson and Theron Q. Dumont, But surprise, later on, both of the works of Theron Q. Dermont were credited to Atkinson. Shocking. So you following me here? Yeah. I got it. (laughs) And guess what? The magazine shares an address with the Yogi Publishing Society, the ones who published works attributed to Yogi Ramacharika, which was one of Atkinson's other pseudonyms. But when Swami Bhatkavish Vishita's articles were turned into books, which was yet another pseudonym, they didn't go to the Yogi Publishing Society. No, they went to the Advanced Thought Publishing Co., the same folks who handled Theron Q. Dumont's books and published Advanced Thought. So it's like a literary maze with all these like hidden connections. I don't know if he was, like, dodging taxes or something with all these, like, fake companies or very real companies under fake names. I don't know. I see the red string happening right now. Yeah, absolutely. I tried to write it out as clear as possible, but if it's not making sense in your brain, just know it's not on you. This dude kind of was weird with his pseudonyms. Yeah, I'm wondering if he even had, like, a plan. It sounds like he wasn't sure which pseudonym should publish from which publishing house, but it sounds like he owned all of them and was all of them. Yep, exactly. And I will say, though, personally, I don't really trust that Willie is the author of the Kvalian. Oh, no. It's super weird that he had, like, pseudonyms that, like, claimed to be Hindu priests, and he just seems to be, like, another, like, little cult leader that dabbles in swindling. I think it's more likely that he is the author, obviously, but I could definitely see him, like, leaning into the rumors of his involvement to further his general brand. Hmm, interesting. I, yeah, I don't think it's that weird that he would do this. So, for some context, William Atkinson, he was, like, originally a successful lawyer, and then he had, like, a huge burnout and, like, mental, physical breakdown. And during his health journey, he found new thoughts, like, and he was like, oh, this is what healed me. Um, And this was all around, like, the late 1880s, which is around the same time that Hinduism was really picking up steam in Western society, but, like, specifically a reformed version of Hinduism. So, like, Hinduism existed when the British came and took over India. Then there started to become, like, this reformed version of Hinduism that incorporated Western ideas, and then it started to get exported to, like, Western society it's often called like neo-vendanta or Hindu modernism because it's like more palatable to Westerners, essentially. Like they leave out things like the caste system. Cool. <laughs> yeah, great. We love that. Um, so like Hinduism was coming over to America at this time. And so people in the New Thought movement were also like starting to blend Hinduism with their beliefs and New Thought spirituality. And it was super common for Western folks to like, and we see this now. I know someone out there knows a person who's done this that changes their name 
once they've converted to Hinduism to sound more Eastern mm-hmm. or like yes. they try and take on an Indian name. And um, in line with cultural appropriation, some folks wanted to have more street cred when they published articles or wrote essays and stuff about Eastern philosophy. So, you know, Americans would change their name to like yogis something, just like just like William did. So, so that way when people like looked at the article, they're like, oh, my God, this name sounds Indian. So clearly it must be authentic. So I will trust everything in this article. <laughs> yeah, I mean, hey, I, I do that sometimes. Oh, this guy seems cool enough. Sure. Might as well. Yeah, exactly. They're like counting on us, like not looking into like who the actual authors are. <laughs> but yeah, so like it was pretty common for people who were writing and speaking on Eastern philosophy, but were Westerners like Americans originally to change their name and have like a more Indian sounding pseudonym. Yeah, that makes sense. It's uh, marketing. Yeah, basically, it's a really shady version of marketing. (laughs) So anyways, the deal is that the Kabbalion is all about sharing the teachings of Hermes Trismegistus. And we all know about that guy. I think we've talked to him like a lot, talked about him a lot. Basically, he's like a mashup of like the Greek god Hermes and the Egyptian god Toth. Yeah, we can't shake him. Yeah, we can't shake him. They're just like a divine combo. He's involved in everything for some reason, and we Uh should maybe just do an episode solely on him. So way back in the day, this wise dude spilled the beans on all the ideas that are covered in the Kabbalion. According to Jewish tradition, he was even buds with Abraham. So talk about a couple of ancient pals. Buddies. Buddies. (laughs) So his teachings on Hermeticism and all those laws go like way, way back, like more than 5,000 years ago. And Hermes was like the rock star of wisdom during his time. Egyptians called him the scribe of the gods, and Greeks thought that he was the god of wisdom, which is kind of fancy. And the Romans gave him the cool name Mercury. So this guy was a trendsetter, and he laid the foundation for alchemy, which turned into chemistry later on, and kicked up the concept of astrology that later on became astronomy, So no wonder they called him the master of masters for all that wisdom. Basically, Trismegistus was the OG source of knowledge that kicked off the whole hermetic tradition. The OG. So if you haven't heard that episode where we talk about him, which honestly he's in like a million of them because we can't shake him. There's a, a collection of texts called the Hermetica that are like hella old. Like some of them take date back as far as 50 AD and yes I mean five zero like just just two numbers crazy AD so they're really old and they span like several hundred years so if you don't personally believe in Hermes Hermes Trismegistus I'm gonna say it the super American way (laughs) as a deity and you're also wondering how one dude could possibly live so long to write all these texts let me introduce you to the word uh, Pseudepigrapha. Yay! Which is a, I had to practice that one. I don't even know if I said it right. <laughs> um, so this is when a piece of literature claims an author that actually never wrote the thing. So like they claim a person that did exist. So unlike a pseudonym, which is just like a fake person, fake name, this is when like it's like, oh, I'm going to write something, but then I'm going to claim that Ruth wrote it. And oftentimes they claim people who are like really old or already dead. Once again, going back to the whole like street cred thing. (laughs) Yeah. And usually the names like would start with pseudo. So you'll see things that are written by pseudo Aristotle or pseudo Dionysus. 
And that's because they like want to build on those person's ideas, but they are not that person. But they want mm. you to like lump it in with them and be like, oh, Aristotle. Yeah, let's trust it. Fun. Yep. So, you know, email us. Weigh in. Do you believe that Hermes actually had a hand in writing all these hermetic texts? But if not, that's fine. <laughs> that's fine. Yeah, let us know. So the Qualian is based on the principles found in the Emerald Tablet. According to legend, the Emerald Tablet of Hermes was said to be discovered in a hidden vault beneath a statue of Hermes in the city of Tyana. The tablet containing ancient knowledge, obviously. I mean, what else would it contain? Right? <laughs> Cookie recipes? Cookie recipes. Hermes was all about that toll house grind. Mm -hmm. Yep. He's the originator of Nestle. That's not true. Don't yeah. believe that. Some say that's where the KFC 12 spices originally came from. Ooh, I like this lore. We gotta Now we got to build out this lore for this guy. Right. Uh, Pseudo Colonel Sanders? <laughs> Pseudo Colonel Sanders. Yes. So the tablet containing ancient knowledge was found in the secretive spot. And the discovery is a bit shrouded in, a, in like a lot of mystery. The story suggests that the tablet was a kind of hidden treasure waiting to be unearthed beneath the watchful gaze of the Hermes statue. It adds an element of intrigue to the origins of the tablet and contributes to its mystical reputation in the realms of alchemy and occult pursuits. This feels like some real Indiana Jones vibes to me, though. I'm sure the real answer is more in line with, like, pillaging and plundering than adventure and mystery. Yeah, so I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but the actual physical tablet has never been found. Oh, that's so sad. It's, like, if someone has found it, you're probably right in terms of pillaging and plundering, and it's just, like, lost to history. Mm. But it's, um, it's never been found. We have no physical evidence that this thing ever existed aside from a lot of different variations of the text um but for any of our like witch folk in the audience the emerald tablet is where we get the phrase as above so below um that's actually a very shortened version of what's in the text and there's a lot of different translations of it you can you can give it a googs it'll it'll be pretty simple but the oldest translation we have comes from arabic and the full phrase is the uppermost is from the lowermost, and the lowermost is from the uppermost. Ooh, that's uh, <laughs> a lot of mosts there. So many mosts. Yeah, so here's the scoop on that. The ideas in this book, they're everywhere in all kinds of places and religions, but they're not tied to like any specific religious group. It's kind of like they're like a universal secret. And get this, they're, they've always been kind of like kept hush-hush. Even with the word, like, hermetic, it means sealed or protected. They were playing it safe. And back in the day, Hermes and his crew were all about keeping things under wraps because they were legit worried that if they spilled the beans, their followers would catch some serious heat. And guess what? History proved them right. I mean, we all are familiar with religious groups. They pretty much get a rough do deal throughout history, from being shunned to straight up be getting burned at the stake. So these hermetic principles, they've always been in the shadows, not in like a creepy magic or like religious way, but just because they were like on a need to know basis, if you feel me. The word occult here doesn't mean like dark magic. It just means that they were kept on the down low, like a well-kept secret. And in the Kabbalion, Atkinson is all about this key idea that there are these seven hermetic principles that form the foundation of the whole hermetic philosophy. 
It's like the big rules that everything else in Hermeticism follows. So without further ado, let's just quote these directly and dive on into them. So number one, the principle of mentalism, the all is mind, the universe is mental, and the universe do be mental. But for serious, mentalism is like saying the whole universe is a giant thought bubble. It's like the basics of manifestation, where your thoughts are the magic wand that shapes what goes down in your world. Basically, for anything to happen, there's got to be a thought paving the way. Your thoughts are a magic wand is a very cute way to put it. <laughs> I I wish it was that simple, um, but also it'd be terrifying if it was that simple because there's just like some people's thoughts that should not be made into reality. Right? Like, uh, we won't get into that. No, but we can all think agreed. of a million things that we don't want to come into reality. Um, so like related to this principle, the Kabbalion mentions mental transmutation, which is the ability to transform mental states or thoughts into something else kind of like mental alchemy and of course when i read this my brain was like ah let's go to the most ridiculous thing possible like thinking a bunny into existence (laughs) (laughs) on the topic of magic wands but it's also about how our thoughts can affect our reality in general so kind of like how certain thoughts make us feel more anxious or angry or sad which will affect our perception of others in the world and influence our actions like we will start to like if we succumb to the thoughts rather than having control over them then you know we might you know we're being used by our thoughts kind of thing so becoming conscious of our thoughts would be like the first step to this principle and then being able to let go of like unhelpful thoughts or detach our identity from our thoughts that can then start to give us more control and autonomy over our lives so it's kind of like that phrase that you might have heard floating around that you are not your thoughts. Like, don't don't identify with them. Don't attach yourself to them because you'll then be able to control them and then control your reality in the process. Yeah, this is groovy. It uh, yeah. feels a lot like the basics of therapy. <laughs> That's, yeah, we will get more into that for sure. Yeah. So then we have the second one, uh, the principle of correspondence. So here we go, as above, so below, as below, so above. This principle embodies the truth that there's always a correspondence between the laws and phenomena of the various planes of being and life. So tarot readers unite. I'm sure we're all familiar with this phrase because of the magician card. It's all tied up with like that mentalism thing saying whatever we keep rolling around in our thoughts and our minds is what's going to play out in our reality. And it's like a backstage pass to the different levels of existence, from the low-vibe spots to the high-flying frequencies and how they're all linked up. So it's kind of cool. Oh, yeah. It's uh, it's definitely a reminder that everything is interconnected. And everything within yourself is interconnected as an individual, like we talked about, like your thoughts from what the Kabbalion calls the mental plane will affect your being on the physical plane and vice versa. And your actions affect your thoughts, you know, all that stuff. And we're interconnected with everything around us. Other people, nature, other planes of existence. So the Kabbalion stresses that the first principle of mentalism is one of the most important because being able to control your thoughts will roll over into all of these other principles. Like in this case, being intentional about how you affect everything and everyone around you. Yeah, I think this is fun. It's, this is such a good reminder and something good to dwell on because like, you know, capitalism and the nature of individualism in America, it really is trying to tell you the opposite of this just to, like, sell you more stuff and that sort of thing. So reminding yourself that everything's 
you know, connected to each other and we're all connected to each other is a good um, breathing point, I suppose. Yeah. You can still be like an individual with your unique talents, but remember that you're not isolated. Like it's very, yeah. it's incredibly rare if you're ever truly isolated because you're still in nature. You're still affecting right. the world around you. Even if you live in a hut in the forest and don't talk to people, yeah. there's still animals and plants around you. Like, yeah, you're never isolated. Yeah. All of our houses are made of wood and concrete. Yeah, so. Right. And all natural things that were taken from nature. So then we have number three, the principle of vibrations. Very groovy. So nothing rests, everything moves, everything vibrates. It's all in the vibes, man. All right. So the vibe principle says everything from stuff you can touch to spiritual energy has its own vibe. This is like science 101. Atoms never stop shimmying. You can quote me on that. (laughs) And the whole universe is on a constant groove. Even our hearts doing their beat things, send out vibes based on how we're feeling. And when we're rocking these good vibes, we steer steer clear of the low-level frequencies that are just, like, not our style. It's like tuning into the good stuff and leaving the blah vibes behind. <laughs> I have, I have to admit, I have beef with the way people use this principle in, like, modern spirituality. Like, I don't have beef with the principle itself, um, but more specifically, like, how some emotions that are considered low vibe are demonized. Right. So I'm not saying, like, I enjoy being depressed or angry, um, but placing everything on this, like, vertical hierarchy is dangerous to me because we start to attach morality to it. Right. To the point where, like, not only does, like, the emotion become shameful, but we start to shame other people for experiencing those emotions. Mm-hmm. And emotions are not, like, inherently good or evil. They just are. And I think we need to treat emotions as more of, like, a compass that can, like, show us something important. Like, if your boundaries are crossed, you're probably going to get really angry. Or if we need to, like, make some kind of change in life because it's not working out, you might be, like, really anxious or sad all the time. So, you know, it's dangerous to me because, like... In history, we used to lobotomize people, especially women, that exhibited perfectly normal emotions because we demonized those emotions. And, like, we really should have just looked at them and been like, hmm, I see that society needs to change because there's a lot of miserable people right now. So maybe maybe don't repress them. Like, I feel like people take this principle and they use it as a way to, like, shame others and repress their own bad emotions rather than actually learning from them and processing them. Yeah, I'm snapping you over here, echoing that sentiment for sure. Yeah, I think, like, if you were not to think deeply about this, it really does sound like stay away from anything low vibrational. Like, if you're having a low vibe thought, just start having happy vibe thoughts. But I think a more practical way to, like, think to put this into practice is, like, if you're experiencing any sort of a low-level frequency... (laughs) You know, just pair that with acceptance of the situation. You know, it's not, you know, necessarily living in the low level frequency for a long time, but it's accepting that, hey, you know, I might be feeling a low level emotion right now and I can accept that and move through that. You know, I can accept where I am right now. You're not trying to move these emotions any sort of way. You're just accepting where you're at in the moment. For sure. And I feel like this next principle... I've got it's going to get weirder because I'm like this next principle almost kind of negates how people use this low vibe situation. But let's get into it. Yeah, let's do it up. So number four, 
The principle of polarity. Everything is dual. Everything has poles. Everything has its pair of opposites. Like and unlike are the same. Opposites are identical in nature, but different in degree. Extremes meet. All truths are but half-truths. All paradoxes may be reconciled. Okay, so (laughs) this is a big one. So the polarity gig spills the beans that things that seem totally opposite are actually just like different shades of the same deal. Like take hot and cold. It's all about temperature, right? Cold is just the lack of heat and they're both buddies in the temperature club. Now check this out. Physical stuff and spiritual vibes are like besties too, apparently. Spiritual energy just cranks up the vibe to a level we can't quite catch with our own senses. Love and hate, believe it or not, they're two sides of the same coin, different ways of dealing with stuff. This is the alchemy vibe, the art of transforming your experiences like a boss. It's like being the DJ of your own life, mixing up the beats as you please. (laughs) What a fun metaphor. (laughs) Truly. So, like, back to why I'm wary of anybody that demonizes low-vibe things, this principle is telling us that the low-vibe stuff, like we said, like hate or sadness, are actually something similar to high-vibe things like love or happiness. So if you're trying to, like, practice all of these principles, then we need to ditch the shame because the low-vibes are apparently just one step away from high-vibe. Like, we're just, or like, you're, like, so close. Also, shame is kind of low-vibe, so I feel like that's very hypocritical of people to... <laughs> to use yeah. that. I'm like, yeah, that's kind of low vibe. Why are you doing that? Why are you right? engaging with it? Um, so I interpret the principle of polarity as kind of instructing us to change our perspective on any given situation. So it's not, well, if you hate someone, then you secretly love them. Like that's probably like the really oh, yeah. element. That's like the elementary school version of what you might interpret this as. Um, but it's really that the root of those two emotions is potentially the same. So like Maybe you deeply care about a person's impact on your life. So when they cross you, it turns to hate. But if they've lifted you up, that, you know, that caring you have would have turned to love. So it's very much like there's something at the root of this that then caused it to branch out one of the other ways in the way that they like interacted with you. And like to no one's surprise, the Kabbalion claims that this is a form of mental alchemy. Once again, classic. And that if you can understand this, you can control your own polarity. Yeah, I mean, if you're getting that far deeply thinking into this, then once again, just find a therapist. (laughs) Right. Honestly, it seems like a lot of these things are therapy related before they really had solid therapy. Because, you know, this was like the 1880s or something. Yeah, exactly. So the next one we have is the principle of rhythm. Everything flows out and in. Everything has its tides. All things rise and fall. The pendulum swing manifests in everything. The measure of the swing to the right is the measure of the swing to the left. The rhythm compensates. So this next principle is like the sibling to the polarity one. It's all about this like built-in rhythm between the opposites. Think tides doing their like in and out dance or us doing the inhale exhale thing like a cosmic jam session everything's in motion just grooving and nature's got its seasons and surprise surprise we do too getting the hang of this principle is like tuning into the natural rhythms of our lives and the whole universe instead of them messing with us we get to roll with the flow we're like part of the ultimate dance party dance party (laughs) i like this whole metaphor that life is just a giant dance party 
I like it too. Isn't it nice? All those atoms shimmying. It's fun. Yeah, pretty much. Atoms are just dancing all the time. So yeah, this this rhythm one is very much about learning to recognize those ebbs and flows and then learning how to like ride the waves. And then the next step is learning to minimize the waves and their effect on you. It's kind of like, you know, baby steps. Like baby you gotta like steps. recognize when it's happening. Then you got to learn to go with the flow and then you can start to like minimize. I think in the book he calls it like the law of neutralization. Oh, which is like okay. Because, you know, they use the metaphor of the pendulum swing, which is like, well, if you swing really far right, then naturally you're going to swing really far left. So he's saying, like, you know, in your emotions, if you swing really far into happiness, the implication is that either you'll swing really far back into sadness or like you've already experienced that sadness in order to feel this happiness. But through the law of neutralization, which I, I don't fully understand what he meant by that, you can um like pause yourself in whichever area you wanted to be in mm. i so like, like that okay yeah it to me like it very much sounds like the tangible form of rhythm is becoming self-aware recognizing what triggers you what keeps you healthy and satisfied and then learning the tools to help us emotionally regulate once again therapy <laughs> yeah right so we're we're not we're not like used by our emotions so you know, rest when you need to, take action when you need to, feel your feelings, but don't get carried away by any of it. Like, don't let it have control over you. Okay, cool. Yeah, I dig that. So then we have the principle of cause and effect. Every cause has its effect, and every effect has its cause. Everything happens according to law. Chance is but a name for law not recognized. There are many planes of causation, but nothing escapes the law. We don't talk to cops. We don't don't talk to cops. <laughs> talk to lawyers. All right. Let's talk cause and effect. It's like the ultimate connect the dots of life. Every move you make sets off a chain reaction and it goes both ways. Are you the one making waves or are you the one riding them out? Sick sick gnarly waves, brah. <laughs> sick waves. Time to check out how your thoughts and actions are throwing ripples into the cosmic pond. Your choices, they've got some serious consequences, my friend, especially for the cosmic toads that live in that cosmic pond. Be nice to the tadpoles. <laughs> so yeah, this one uh, reminds me of the butterfly effect in chaos theory. Um, so in simple terms, the butterfly effect is the idea that really small and like seemingly insignificant actions can then have large effects over time and change like the course of history. Um, the metaphor that's used, which the name comes from, is that the flap of a butterfly's wings could influence where and when and how a tornado eventually comes to pass. Like, it's one of those things where, like, something so small that you wouldn't think about suddenly causes a tornado in another country and, like, where it was going to be. So this is just, like, another reminder that everything is interconnected and that anything, like, you do and how you interact with people can have, like, a lasting effect over time so yeah they've all got all these principles um have a really strong self-mastery and discipline vibe to them the Kabbalion gets a little intense on this one too because atkinson gets into his metaphor that like life is a game and the hermeticists have mentally risen so much that they are active players of the game of life instead of being played by life this <laughs> <laughs> guy's like the original huberman guy oh my god don't get played by life man <laughs> Oh, yeah. Loving it. So, the principle of gender. 
So this is the final one. Gender is in everything. Everything has its masculine and feminine principles. Gender manifests on all planes. So the seventh principle spills the beans that everything's got a bit of both masculine and feminine vibes. Sure, it's like the two sexes are the poster kids for this idea, but guess what? We've all got a mix of both inside of us. It's like the left and right brain doing their thing. And these energies aren't just like kicking it on the physical scene. They're double dutying it. Double dutying it? That's gross. Double duty. <laughs> They're pulling double duty in the mental and spiritual realms too. When you bring these two energies together, it's like a cosmic tag team for creating stuff. Yeah, and for our tarot friends, it's like the lover's card or it the is. world card. Yeah. Oh, great idea to pull that in. Good Heck comparison. Yeah. I think we go a little more in depth on the lover's card specifically um, in our birth card episodes. But as like a little recap, the lover's card can be about blending dualities. Um, my favorite like phrase that I think of when I see it is like, not one way, not like masculine or femi- feminine, but a secret third thing. <laughs> it's kind of like, it's like, oh, you can blend the dualities of yourself because, you know, the card has the angelic figure to become like a different or better version of yourself that is beyond these like, um, that is b- beyond these like worldly structures type thing. Mm. Um, so it can be like a transcendent version of ourselves. Uh, and then the world card, obviously, besides about being like completing a cycle can be about completing the integration of all aspects of ourselves so you know integrating your shadow with your light aspects masculine feminine giving receiving all that stuff so yeah those are those are some more like tarot driven ones that might help people understand this this um principle of gender yeah i think it was a good move comparing it to tarot because like this masculine feminine energies thing is so like weird nowadays and so using the tarot as a guide here is is a pretty solid way of explaining it in a in like a normal sense right and like i think it's just i think everyone should know that like you have all qualities in you and like we've just kind of over time defined masculine and feminine as one way based on like you know basic observation of how people who identify as women react versus people who identify as men react so you know it's not like if you're a man, you can't be compassionate and can't receive gifts and can't be wise. And same thing for women. If you identify as a woman, it's not like you can't like be a leader and be ambitious and action-oriented. Right. It's That's the whole point, is that you have the ability to do all of it regardless of what your body is or you know how you identify. It's like, it's more just, hey, now that you know you can do it all, which which features do you want to enhance? Which ones do you want to right. embody the most? Like, which ones do you enjoy? Yeah, vibin', <laughs> just just vibin'. Yeah. So how should we close this out? <laughs> I know this was a lot. So uh, the TLDR, I guess, um, is that the seven principles described in the Kabbalion encompass the importance of self-awareness, our impact on the world around us and above or below us. And ways to learn self-mastery so we have a say in crafting our lives. And it was written by, supposedly, the three initiates, in quotes. But was very likely written by a guy named William Atkinson in, like, the 1880s. (laughs) And he was (laughs) attempting to summarize the Hermetica, which has hundreds of texts. So, like, you know, this is clearly skimming the surface of what is actually in the Hermetica. 
Yeah, I think you, uh, I think we did a pretty good job here. We put a, put a nice little bow on it. I hope so. <laughs> so don't forget to subscribe, to subscribe, well, geez, words don't work apparently anymore. Nope. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a review. If you're a fan of the podcast, we need you to do this so we can find new fans. And, uh, also to keep our vibes high. This is on you guys now. Wow. So tell your friends, follow us on all socials. Our handles are Sweet Death Inc. and Mystic Fool Tarot on all platforms. See you later. Bye.